0: Open your Bibles over to Mark chapter 6. As we walk through this narrative this summer, stories that are familiar to me and maybe to you. If you've been a student of the scriptures, you've read them. Last, just last weekend, one of our outstanding leaders came up to me and goes, I love this study. He goes, and there's stories that I've forgotten about as you're telling the stories of Jesus. They're just remarkable. So this morning we find ourselves with a number of stories Matter of fact, there's, uh, there's about three or four messages or sermons in this, and you're like, oh my goodness, what, what are we going to endure today? But let's, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we come desiring a rich experience of your presence. And Lord, turn our thoughts and our minds to the word, the living word, and let our hearts be saturated with your presence. Shape us because we've come. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. Mark chapter 6, I'm going to start there in the first verse, and I'm going to read the first six verses, and then we'll just kind of make our way along this gospel. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. And the next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. And they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? And then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Rejected. You know, that's a great question to always ask can i go home again have you ever asked that question maybe you were the prodigal in your family maybe you have a prodigal in your family and they might ask can i go home and i would say yes you can go home but it could be tough but i'll set it up this way i remember starting to follow jesus christ i became a believer at 19 and my life was so radically changed and when i went home the first thing i wanted to do was tell my folks about jesus and then i began to tell my family about the goodness of jesus And it was a little different. I I remember the first Easter as a new believer. I was so passionate. I just had gotten out of God's house with thousands of believers gathering that day. And I went home, and they were all at the lake waiting on me. And they're like, what took you so long to get here? And we had this big family meal of about 35, 40 people. It was crazy. And I remember there came a time, and they said, even in those days they didn't know I was gonna be a preacher but they knew something And they say would you have grace I go oh, I'd love to and I would I would pray I mean I would preach I mean I would pray and I still remember lining them up the first Easter and I blasted them with the gospel of Jesus two of my sisters cried profusely one of my brother-in-laws quit speaking to me my nephews thought I'd done lost it but just to tell you how good God is just a month ago one of my nephews it was a little bitty kid that day he sent me a text he said uncle keith i always knew you were different and i couldn't wait to get together for family events because i knew you and aunt donna were going to say something about jesus and this was somebody that was raised in the bahai cult faith and he was a long way from the cross of christ and then he came to jesus so you see sometimes in your own home it's a little difficult it's hard and jesus found it hard here because these people had such unbelief it says he didn't do miracles because of their unbelief it wasn't because he couldn't because he was all-powerful and the church said but he chose not to because of their unbelief in other places it wasn't so much their belief it was the belief of the people that lowered him through the roof that he did but jesus can do what he wants to jesus is sovereign jesus is god jesus is able to do anything amen and he does so here in this story they just find themselves Fill it in. The people were shocked. They were dismayed. They were awed by the preaching of Jesus. Where does this rabbi, where does this carpenter, where does this boy of Joseph, where does he get this wisdom? Where does he get teaching? Well, he gets it from on high. Fill in the next blank. People stumbled. They were amazed over his works because the reputation, way before this section of scripture, all around the public ministry of Jesus, those three years, from 30 to 33 they were perplexed at what he did the miracle worker of Nazareth that little simple carpenter boy and man remember the day he got lost from his parents or he got separated and they said where you been son well, I've been about my father's house down in the temple sound like a smart aleck answer but it wasn't it was the truth I'm in the next blank people were shunned by his power because when Jesus spoke as he speaks today it captures our attention it demands a response now he never forces himself and we can choose to reject him or receive the goodness of jesus christ and i'm so glad that so many of you have but we we look at this section here and we just see where does he get all this wisdom and everybody uh or is listening and and so many are like no we're not going to believe he's just a simple boy but in verse 7 it begins to turn a little bit and i want you to look there then he sends out the 12 disciples he sends them out two by two the scripture says and you know that's a, a biblical pattern for us to go out two by two because when you go out in twos when you get discouraged you've got somebody to pick you up when you get stumped you have somebody that has discernment and knowledge. There's a, a thing that used to happen a lot in Baptist churches and it happened in, in evangelical movements, and I don't really think it happens much anymore. But I remember as a new believer, I was trained in all kinds of forms of evangelism because I just wanted to proclaim and make Jesus Christ known to others. And I remember John Riley and Mike Cole and all of them began to teach me, and I remember they told me, they Keith, now we're going downtown Montgomery to share the gospel. I said, we are. And I think my question was, where are we going to eat? And they said, we're going to go. And I remember going downtown Montgomery, sharing the goodness of Jesus Christ. And I never will forget Mike Colon, that former Miami Dolphin, Captain Crunch from Auburn University, the anointed school. And, And I remember, Mike, we were sharing Christ with this one guy. And I never will forget, we were downtown Montgomery. And that little guy, he just knelt down on his knees right there in the streets of downtown and prayed to receive Christ with Mike. I went wow then I remember going to a Gatlinburg conference they said we're going to go out and we're going to share the gospel and we're going to do it two by two I didn't realize that was such a biblical pattern in those days because I I remember somebody I went up to their door and I go I want to share Christ and the wind went boom slammed the screen door in my face and I started to tell her something but I didn't somebody said stop 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 just leave go to the next house and sometimes you go to a house, and they go, hey, would you like to come in? Oh, I'd love to. you have anything to eat? All right, let's keep moving. All right, here you go. But accountability is one thing. And because here's what I want you to see, the principle here, over here. He says that he went from village to village, teaching people. He called his 12 disciples, sent them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. And as this happens, there was, I think the principle, just right in your notes, no solos. Oh, we can go one-on-one with Christ, with others, and I think we do many times and we're called to, but there's something powerful about the mission of two, that you have comfort even when you are discouraged, even when you're rejected, God allows you to move better. And also, in Ecclesiastes 4, maybe you were already thinking they were ahead of me. Solomon, that wise man of God, he says they have two are better than one, they have a good reward for their labor if one falls down his companion can help up the one who has fallen but woe to him who is alone when he falls he has no one to help him up again if two lie down together they can stay warm but how can one be warm alone see that's a great passage for marriage we like to read that in marriage ceremonies but i think this is a great principle for the body of christ to not be alone to do it in companionship and you have authority and power in the name of jesus christ also there's a thing about where there's two witnesses there's power and it sticks and there's authority there in the midst and there's a mutual testimony as one goes and another gives credence to that witness so two now move on down with me verse eight he told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick no food no traveler's bag no money he allowed them to wear sandals but not to take a change of clothes now i don't know about you i'm thinking jesus I don't know if I want to go on this trip. I can't take my toothbrush. I can't take something to eat. I can't take an extra shirt. The other day, the guy's out here cutting the grass at the church. And I, and I, walk, I walked out I said, hey, how many shirts do you go through a day? And he just laughed. He goes, several. Because when you live in Montgomery, there's a thing called humidity. Today, have y'all heard? I think it's going to be 105 in the shade this afternoon. I know some of you are like, oh, man, I'm just going to stay in this room right here because it's comfortable. Amen. So we'll have extra services this afternoon if you want to. Okay. So here he is. So two by two, they're going there. He, he tells them not to take anything. And, and they're going to go into communities. Verse 10, wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if, you, if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet. You always hear that about shake the dust off your feet. Here's where it came from, the gospel of Mark as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate you know we go to somebody's house and we shake our feet we shake our shoes on the mat before we go in the house because you want to carry stuff into the home you don't want to defile it and then some people we're learning and we've learned that through our family through having a Canadian son-in-law and it's a pretty cool thing you, they always take off their shoes and that's why so you don't come because they're used to tracking up the house with snow and stuff it makes total sense to me and, and to this day it's so funny in my house not on the carpets but on the hard surfaces we wear our shoes and my grandson one of them he is so bothered he'll come in and he loves me and he wants to hang out and wants to have snacks he's mine and 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 then he'll go pop you have your shoes on yeah well then you need to take them off pop and I go okay and I usually do because that little fella how are you going to deny a little three-year-old that just you know He's just precious. I miss him. Okay, let's keep going. So hospitality here. They go to these places and they and they shake off their, their feet because the people don't want to hear them sometimes. And the responsibility in that day was of the town. They didn't have like the Holiday Inn. They didn't have the uh, you know all these great hotel chains. What did they have? They had homes. And people, they, they would maybe bring in, they'd have a place for their animals and then the little side rooms, and that's where the people would stay. I know right here in our own church, the Garths, so they, they did that, I probably got the number wrong, 28,000 miles, uh, somewhere under a million. They, they did more miles for Jesus, than anybody I've ever seen. They, they traveled the world a few years after they got married on bicycles. It was just amazing. And, uh, and so they opened up their home it's like a hotel, it's a hostel to receive people. And if you ever follow them on Instagram, you'll see these great pictures. And it's, it's really this principle here I see here. They're opening up their home that people might have lodging. in well, that day, you didn't put out your credit card to go, I'm going to go stay in this hotel. You better hope you had a place to stay. And they would be people, and then people, some would ignore them. It was just kind of the responsibility of the town to care for the people. But here's what I love about this. These disciples would go, and they would go to whosoever. They would go to the whosoevers of community. And they would share a word of the gospel. They would share a word of grace, a word of comfort, a word of challenge, a word of conviction. And many became believers because of the witness of these two, of these six groups that went out two by two. I know you're saying, man, you're trying to drive that today. But I want you to know that uh, the Lord had opened doors. I'd probably make a note if you were making notes today. Pray that the God of the harvest would open doors for my witness how many of you believe God can open doors how many of you think God can close doors <laughs> he can slam them shut he can open them wide in my prayer for our church would you join me God would you open up the doors of Christ community church wide and would you open up the doors of our faith community that we would be open to the goodness of what you have to do through us that we might usher in your kingdom it's called there's a term they came out with years ago and it's a great term It's called missional living, that we might live on mission for Jesus. And it all starts here with these disciples here in this early gospel. But in verse 13, he says there to cast out demons and take authority. And he talks about anointing with oil. And the thing is, there's there's a New Testament book called the book of James. It's one of my favorite books. I've preached it two different times here in the church over the years. And he tells to call on the elders and to anoint with oil and pray. And I think... He learned it. James was in this inner group and he had learned, and then later he pens in his own book about the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit and about praying for others and and, and going and being strong. But let's move on. Verse 14, Herod Atypist. Now, I could could sit here and speak on this for 30 minutes and I won't, but I'm going to try to give you kind of a quick lesson about Herod. That was a very common name in Bible times. Matter of fact, there's a lot of herods, and there was a lot of little herods, if you will, running around. And these different ones that we talk about, it, it's just it's just crazy. But the first one, don't you to fill in the blink? Herod's confusion. He was a confused, messed up, wannabe, authoritative figure, if you will. And he did have authority because we read later about how Pilate sends Jesus to Herodias. and Tippus and and we see basically what I learned about uh, Herod here is that he is a spineless guy he doesn't have much courage but oh my goodness he's got a wife and she is large and in charge you know what I'm don't don't say amen okay and now have you ever met a woman that was in charge Listen, to that was the weakest I've ever heard. I know some people didn't want to respond to that, but you thought it would not go well in my soul if I said that. Okay. Oh, there's a big buzz all over the hillside because Jesus is in and out of these communities. And there's this Herod family that I'm talking about, and basically it was a tangled mess. I mean, he just, I think he really liked sin, and he liked to embrace it. And Herod the Great... We, this is a different Herod. Herod the Great was the one that killed the babies. Remember him over in Bethlehem? He was basically a maniac. He was a, he was a killer. He was a murderer. And then you get into this Herod Tippus, and he's one that's into all these marriages and intermarriage, and he had people killed and incest, death, murder. Not a good guy, just a very sinful guy, and yet he has a pretty prominent position of, of authority. And so as we see here on this guy, He, he, uh, his, the fourth wife of Herod the Great, he gives, uh, he, his wife gives birth to this son named Herod You you remember, how many of you have the George Foreman grill at home? Okay. You, 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 did you ever hear about George? You know, George had a bunch of sons. He named them all George. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life and can you imagine sitting at the dinner table going george 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 but you got to remember george foreman was a boxer and he got hit in the head a lot of times i'll let you fill in the blanks so i'm sure that worked for him now i don't want to make too fun of him because the george foreman grill made that man millions of dollars so he's still laughing all the way to the bank but hey you know when you name a kid in your house the same name you have is it confusing i mean around the church here For some reason we're not a large church, but we always tend to get names that everybody has the same name I'll just give you one name and you fill in the blank Tiffany and you go over to the children's wing and they say Tiffany and everybody just freaks out and they're all Which one who what and then on this worship team on this worship team. There are two April Jones, what's the chance of that happening? And it's just confusion. So here's all these Herods, and they're, they're just getting confused. And, but I learned this as I was studying it. I thought it was interesting. They said, it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. Because Herod Tippus had a desire, and he had a way that he, he murdered people. He killed people. He even had some of his sons murdered. I mean, this is, this is not a nice guy. And, uh, and yet Herod says, this is John whom I beheaded, talking about John the Baptist, he has been raised from the dead. He was all like, who, who is this guy that's come back? Has he come back to haunt me? Has he, has he come back after me? Let's pick it up. Herod the king, soon heard about Jesus because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's why he could do such miracles. Another said, in verse 15, he's the true prophet Elijah. Still others said he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. And when Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded has come back from the dead. He's thinking, "Uh uh-oh. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest. And in prison, John is a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. There's that incestuous relationship adulterous it just messed up okay and it's against god's law for you to marry your brother's wife so herodias bore a grudge against john and wanted to kill him but without herod's approval she was powerless for herod listen respected john and knowing that he was a good and holy man he protected him herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with john but even so he liked to listen to him he liked to listen to john see some there thought that he was a he even thought he was elijah and if you know about the old testament the great prophet elijah and you turn to the last book of the old testament it's called malachi and in malachi it says something to this end it goes before the coming of the day the lord will god will send elijah the prophet and it's said that very reason that at passover jews would keep the door open and they would keep an empty chair Open at their table in hopes that elijah would come and sit with them at the table Elijah has always been and always will be a powerful figure of God and yet John uh, Herod, herodias here he heard he has he has messed up and he You know, he's confused and didn't have all his mental capacity. Maybe it's just kind of interesting and he, uh, John here, John the Baptist is such a great man of God. He's an orator. He proclaims the kingdom. Some say that the weeping prophet Jeremiah and John had a lot in common. They both wept over Jerusalem. They wept. They had compassion over the people. And yet, here is what I love about this guy, John. Write it down. John was bold, tenacious, and spoke. His mind, his heart, under the leadership of God. And he called sin, sin. He called people out when they need to be called out. And here it is, this great leader. He called him out for a sinful relationship. And that's why his wife didn't want to have anything to do with him. She, you know, you, we're going to see in a minute what she does for him. I mean, she's really against him. But let me tell you, guys, I just think about the modern-day parallel. I never thought I would see what I'm seeing in 2018 so many preachers that have a platform for jesus christ have taken a little detour from some of the scriptures because they don't want to speak boldly the word of god and this pastor is going to speak to you the word of god amen you need to have the word of god you don't need to have well pastor that's a little bit offensive jesus is offensive okay can you just get over that he's compassionate he's supreme he is lovely he is mercy but he does speak truth. And we need to hear truth. I, I don't know about you. When I hear truth sometimes, I'm like, man, that was, that was hard. But I needed it. I needed realignment. I needed uh, redirection for my soul here. But in verse 22, move there with me. you got to see this story. Verse 21. Herodotus chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and leading citizens of Galilee. And then... His daughter, also named Herodias. You see how they're into this Herod thing? That's kind of weird. He came in, performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Asked me for anything you like. And the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. And he even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask and even up to half of my kingdom. She went out and she asked her mother, uh-oh. Remember what I just told you about Herod's wife? She didn't like who? She didn't care nothing for John because John had already spoke against her. What should I ask for her? ask her for her mother told her ask for the head of john the baptist so the girl hurried back to the king and told him i want the head of john the baptist right now on a tray you you know what a charger is you know a charger is the thing that you put your plates on hello okay it says that's what i want i want john's head on a charger that's a little bit scary isn't it and you know what because he had boasted, he'd been full of air, he had promised up to half his kingdom. Although when I really studied this, I learned that he really didn't have much to give because they had to basically pass on their kingdom to the successor of them. So he really couldn't even give an acre of land away, much less, he didn't have anything to give, but he wanted to boast, and he made this proclamation, he made this oath, and then he didn't want to look bad. You although the scripture says that he did like John, he liked to listen to him. And yet, because he made this comment he sit for an executioner and the executioner cut off the head of John the Baptist and the others came and they buried him And man I've always read this story it's like it's really pretty pretty gruesome you know and yet earlier this girl this teenager she goes and she dances in the king's chambers or with the people a very seductive kind of dance and they were very intoxicated history tells us these guys that were in that thing who knows and so do you think the daughter cared anything about? Do you think the mom really cared anything about her daughter? I don't think so. I mean, what mom does that to your daughter? She just sewed her out short. But there's this empty boast. But I like it that it, uh, you know, that, that John, John stands up. John is bold. John is courageous. He was very bold. He was very courageous. He must have known something about Joshua. So as we move through this, I just want you to know there's an opportunity here of great mourning. You can moan or you can mourn. And this man, the the disciples, they're mourning the the death of their friend. He's been killed. His life's been taken. And yet, I want us to think about repentance here because as you move through this, look what it says. It says he does this in verse 26. Then the king deeply regretted what he had said because of the vows he'd made in front of his guests. He couldn't refuse her. So he immediately, there it is again, Box it in, Forty-one times, if you want to go through your scriptures in Mark, he sent an executioner, cuffed his head, and this girl takes it to her mom. And when the disciples, in verse 29, heard what he had happened, they came to get his body, and they buried it in a tomb. And this is one of the saddest stories that I read about in Scripture. I mean, this sword here that just cuts off, and there's, there's no repentance. There's no willing to stand up to, to his wife and what's interesting, there's, there's other stories. There, there's the, the story of Saul. And you remember when Saul even falls on his own sword. And here, the sword cuts off the head of, uh, of uh, John. And what I thought was interesting is in um, uh, there, there, there's a village. Let me see if I can find this town. There's a, there, there's a place there charge, I think, and it means where all this happened. And the literally name of that community means, are you ready for this? Sword. I'm amazed how many times God will give a name and people will live up to that name. And in that little village there around Canaan, that's where John the Baptist had his head cut off. Man, it's just it's gruesome. It's it's sad, and uh, and yet John, man, he preaches. <laughs> I want to be like John. I want to be one that has deep compassion like Jesus. But I want to be one that's not afraid to tell the truth. The proper response, listen to this. The proper response to biblical preaching is this. That you preach the Word of God and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you listen to the Spirit and you respond to Him. But here's what happens in that day and what happens in 2018 people will attack the messenger they'll attack the preacher if you will and they'll here's the other thing they'll do they'll just ignore the message that message must not be for me it must be you know i hear this all the time i wish my wife had come to church today that message was for her pastor wish my husband would come this month he needs to hear the word of god he's a bum okay well you're not honoring him very good okay you know, it's always easier to say, this message is for my brother. This message is for my colleague. Well, this message is for who? For me. For you. So as we look here, we see Herod. Look, look at it. Herod's confusion. Herod's crime. We talked about his crime that he's committed here. I mean, it's really tough. And then we see Herod's conscience. And here's, here's what I want to say. Timothy says that we can so sear our conscience that it gets so hard that it quits... Uh, Working the way it was created why God gave us a conscience and it just gets so hard that it's of no value And, and it's like God just passes over us. He he just passes by and This uh, Timothy right down in the passage first 1 Timothy 119. He talks about They've shipwrecked their conscience. It, it's gone south. There's it, it, it's just it's in a really sad place and yet in this scripture here God's calling us to a place of confession He's called us to a place of repentance, to, to turn toward him, to, to follow him wholeheartedly. and yet in this situation, you see it's a lot of condemnation and inherent another place. He basically he, he doesn't want to hear then when uh, Pilate sends Jesus to him, he just wants, if you will, spiritual entertainment, but he doesn't want the gospel, he doesn't want the real good news of grace. So I think about us this morning, I think about how, how easy it is to harden our heart. to to sear our conscience to where it's not attuned, it's not sensitive to the Spirit, it's not sensitive to conviction. I think that's what happened to Herod. I think it just got so messed up that he he quit listening. And and he didn't hear, and there was no chance of salvation. Here's what I know. When God begins to convict you and me, that's the time to obey. That's the time to respond to the mercy and the grace of Jesus. It's not to put it off because... I find when you and I put things off, we put it off again and we put it off another day and we put it off another month and maybe a year and then a decade. And then before you know, man, you've just gotten so out of touch, you, you just don't listen and the conscience is just hard and it's in a tough place. And you go, God, have you forgotten me? No, he's not forgotten. You've just uh, decided to silence your conscience and rationalize your sin. But here's a thought today. I think everybody that hears me, I think you want to have a healthy conscience. At least I hope you do. And if you want to have a healthy conscience, I want you to write down these points because I didn't get them into my notes, but I should have. So please forgive me, but write. Number one, if you want to maintain a healthy conscience, hear God's Word. Have a steady appetite of God's Word that you read and hear God's Word. Number two, obey God's Word. Not just hear it, not just read it, but when the Spirit moves, when the Spirit speaks, hear it, but obey it. And then three, if you want to have a healthy conscience, confess your sins. Where you know that you've missed the mark of God, confess it to Him. I I love that. And in the confessing, here's the good news, in the confessing, you receive the forgiveness of Christ. 1 John 1, 9, write it down. One of the earliest Bible verses I ever learned. If we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will do what cleanse us from all unrighteousness that's what a good God that we have and that's the good God that we serve the Lord Jesus Christ so let's move here verse 30 I gotta move oh my goodness there's so much great material here Jesus feeds the 5,000 this is no ordinary feat they didn't count women and children then So estimations are 17 to 20,000 people they fed. The little boy, if you will, he had an Israeli Happy Meal, and he brings his little loaves and fishes to Jesus. And probably the guys are thinking, "Hey, the staff's going to eat. The guy, we're going to eat." I don't know what you're going to do with this crowd, but Jesus puts a principle: no, it's better to serve than to be served. And they serve the masses on the hills. And they feed all 20,000 people. And the scripture says they were satisfied, they were filled, they had more than enough. And then the scripture says they had baskets left over. How many baskets did they have? How many? It says 12. How many disciples were there? 12. I thought it was kind of interesting. Every one of them got to take a gift basket home. I'm just thinking, you know, I don't know. Like, can you imagine going home and going, hey, mom? you're not going to believe i was over there and jesus showed up and oh my goodness confusion and commotion and healing and they had man they had fish sticks it was unbelievable and everybody ate and then they had baskets and they sent them home and i'm sure some, somebody probably got in trouble and said johnny quitline just qu- hey any of y'all ever lie when you were little okay we'll we'll keep going okay so here you feed feeding feed the five thousand. but here's what i like Write down the passage of Ephesians 3.20. Because here's what God does on that hillside one day. He's able to do exceedingly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And that day, he supersized the meal. You know, when you go to eat, what do they always tell you? You want to you wanna upgrade that? You want to supersize that? Now, don't tell me if you do or not. That, that, you know, that's another day. But here Jesus supersizes that little meal and has plenty. And what it tells me is Jesus has all the resources we need. And when you and I are in need, we need to run to Jesus. And the church said... Amen. I mean, run to him here. So the apostles gather, they, they go there and they're in this deserted place, and Jesus does this amazing miracle. It, it, in the Greek, here it says he was moved with compassion. In the Greek, it says he had bowels of compassion. That sounds a little uh you know, not really good to us. In other words, he was extremely moved. Okay, he was moved without sheep, without a shepherd. They were scattered. And Jesus, here's what I know every time Jesus Christ shows up in the scripture, every time Jesus shows up in our church, in our lives, things have to change. It's just good news of Christ. How do I know about this compassion of Jesus? Because one day Lazarus died, and Jesus wept profusely because he cared about Lazarus he cared about mary and martha and their pain and their concern and here he's having compassion and he's feeding these people but here he is fill in this blank here jesus takes what we have and he multiplies it into what we don't have so you have a little give it to jesus you have a lot give it to christ relinquish just write down the word relinquishment the lord wants us to relinquish everything we have to him secondly jesus turns our inadequacy into his adequacy jesus i am unable jesus i am inadequate but lord you are sufficient you are the supreme one i run to you right now some of you are thinking you are verbose i am but what you don't know is I work extremely hard every single week to get up on this platform because I am so unqualified and I am so inadequate and I tremble all week before I walk on this platform because I want to represent my Jesus and I want to love you well. And all I know is that God shows up and where I think, God, I don't have anything to say. I don't know if I can do it this week. God, I'm scared. And you're going, man, you ain't got scared to squat. You'd talk to the wall. I would. But to come up here on this platform, it's just a, it's a sacred thing for me. It's a humbling thing for me. And that's why I want to prepare. But I'm like, God, you are adequate. I've always been adequate. Every time I realize how inadequate I am, I know how sufficient he is. I'm in a great place, and so are you, church. How many of you are inadequate this morning? Y'all better raise your hand. If you think you're sufficient in yourself, you fooled yourself. Here it is. So Jesus... He's completely satisfies, he completely satisfies hungry souls, and they end up with more than what they gave. But here's, here, here's the thing. But Jesus, he'll, he'll give us a test. You, how many of you had a professor in college, and they were kind of uh, cantankerous and smart aleck, and they would walk in sometimes and say, put down your books. You know, we used to have books. I know you have tablets now. Put down your books, and we're going to have a little quiz today. How many of you just got jacked up about that? No way, man, like, dude, I got an empty sheet of paper. And you know, I think God gives quizzes, and I think we just give him our empty sheet of paper and we say, God, help us fill it in. God, you fill it in on what you want to do. Help me prepare for the test. Do y'all believe that God tests you? I I believe God brings tests all the time to us because he wants to develop us. He wants to develop our quality or or our character. He, He wants us to face adversity and hardship in his strength, and that comes to us. And when we're at the end of our resources, then we go, but God, I have no more. But you have plenty. Lord, you're more than enough. I trust you in this. Right now, some people in this room, you're out of prayers. You, you don't know how to pray anymore. You're out of money. You're out of encouragement. You're out of hope. You're out of something. It's a great time to run to Jesus and go, Jesus, I, I don't know what to do. Lord, I'm, I'm kind of the end of myself. I've been waiting for that. I've been known to meet needs. It's your deepest need. Offer that to me. So here he is. Now, let's move here because I want you to see this. 45 through 52. Oh, my goodness. Jesus walks on the water. In the Greek, it says phantom, ghost. They're freaking out. They're out there in that boat. Twenty, 27-foot boat, they tell us from historical records. And he leaves the whole future basically up to these guys. And they're out there, and they're scared to death. And he's walking toward them. He passes them by. And I mean, I don't know about you, you ever been out on the big bodies of water at night when it's dark and the moonlight or the waves are, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty scary. I remember one time when I was in a, a 42-foot sailboat with a board uh, of, of missionaries trying to go to the Bahamas, and it got so rough in Miami going out that I remember, man, people were throwing up. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to tell you that. And it, it, it was just scary, man. I was up, and, and on a 42-foot boat, do you know how small 42-foot is? When the boat, that, that sailboat was dropping down like that, and then it would come up, and I'd go, oh, Jesus, we're going to make it, and then we like, we got to a place called Bimini. You ever heard of Bimini? I'd never heard of it. We got to Bimini, and we had lost our cookies. And man. Morning broke out. The water was clear, prettiest water I've ever seen. And there's about seven of us missionaries and ministers on that boat. And we're thinking, Man, we have been to hell and back. This place is horrible. And we said and, and they said, We're gonna port for a minute and we'll leave again. And we said, No, we're not. We went in and we found some little bitty airplanes and we flew from there to the Bahamas. I've never wanted to get on a sailboat again in my life. You know what I'm saying? So here's these guys that day. They're out there. And things are rough. And Jesus walks toward them. And He he, what he is, He reveals to them His divinity, and then He reveals that He is near them, He is with them in the storm. And what I love about that, I want you to feel in Him: storms are always under His control. Every storm that you're going through right now, you're in a financial storm. Jesus is there you're in an emotional relational storm jesus christ is there you're in a health storm god knows i am wearing out my knees praying for this church and for the women of our church and their health issues and jesus is in the storm and the church said amen and feeling this and storms have always been a part of the plan of jesus see we have storms because it develops us it makes us like jesus it builds our character and i don't know what storm you're in i've certainly had storms and i'll have more storms than you will and that's why i detest prosperity theology because it's just not biblical storms but he's the the author of life he's the resurrection everything's under his control and the watch of the night here things are looking rough and he says be of good cheer it is i I am. I'm the great I am. He told Moses that all through Scripture we see that. But here he shows up. Guys, cheer up. I'm here. I'm with you. And right now, or next week, or next year, you go through a storm. Remember the story. Begin to meditate on it. Possible surgery, disease, death, darkness. It's a footpath to Christ. Every, write that thought. Here, here's the thought. Every storm is a footpath to Jesus. We can take a detour and run away from Christ, or we can run as hard as we can toward the Savior, hoping that he'll pick us up. I love those pictures I see of Jesus holding the kids in his arms. The comfort and the compassion of the blessed Savior. The little lamb over the shepherd's shoulder walking. Do you see the image now? And that's our Jesus. He is strength. He is shelter. He is refuge no he is healer he is here amen amen Amen. he's here for us that's the good news of grace and and man i i I just want to talk to you about this all day but i Man, I'm running out of time. It's just—I I think next time I do a book of the Bible, I'm not going to try to do a gospel in 17 weeks. Although I think I'm going to give myself permission to extend it because it's just too much here. Here's what I hope happens on the weekends: Your appetite. You're like, man, I got to go back and read this. I got to study this for myself. God, I just made a mark. I got to go back and study this story. That would be a good thing. Next weekend, Mark chapter seven. We're just walking through here. Uh, there, i'm gonna give you one theological thing and we're gonna go i think this is good sorry chaplain dave you know all this but this is a great word the word is called theophany and there's a theophany here and in this situation it's one of those uh four dollar theological words okay it means the glory of god is revealed in a particular act or in a moment and here We see a theophany of God. He is revealed in the storm. And over and over in the Gospels and places in Scripture, we see God revealing himself. Now, we use the word, I had an epiphany. I had an idea. Something came to me. But this is a theophany. This is a a work of God. I I don't know why I told you that. I guess because I know it. But but I I just wanted you to, to know that God is here. And he is aware of anything you're going through and he is for you, he is not against you. This morning, if, if you'll come to the piano there for me, Caitlin, this morning, little Noah, did you see little guy, he, he's probably gonna play for the New York Mets, play baseball, that's what his dad wants him to do. Or at least play football at University of Georgia, okay? <laughs> like, that's, that's a big deal too. But I'm looking at little guy, man, and you know, he, he's, he's stocky, he's got great shoulders, you know, he's gonna be, he's gonna be a hoss, I love that guy. But you know, the thing is, He's kind of small, he's kind of weak. His mom and dad got to kind of, you know, care for him. Well, they have to care, they have to nurture him. But he's, but he's going to grow up. And you know what? He's going to grow up with us. And we're going to speak into his life. And we're going, to, we're going to teach him Bible stories. And we're going to show him how to love Christ. Aren't we, church? Aren't we, church? Man, that's our job. We're a faith community. And one day, I'm going to walk up here as an old man. And Noah's going to pick me up and he's going to press me over his head. So remember the day when you held me up and did this? I don't know. I'm just thinking. He, he could. But this morning, I pray that one of these little stories, one of these powerful stories, was the story that your soul needed to hear today. Oh, Jesus, you walk on water. You feed the masses. You nurture and redeem the soul. But you are good. And you are for us and you are with us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? And I ask this morning, man, run to Jesus. And have guts, have fortitude, have spiritual tenacity to stand up and go. I'll stand for Christ. And it might be the day that you just need to speak into some relationship in your life. You need to speak truth. Speak it with great, compassionate heart. God will be glorified. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church and for Noah's dedication. Thank you for the word of Mark that we could study together. And Lord, I pray that you would fashion us after your word and make us true disciples of Jesus Christ. God, don't let us have seared, hard consciences. Let us have a conscience that's sensitive to you. Holy Spirit, let us respond to your voice and to your conviction god thank you for truth thank you for grace Oh god thank you for mercy who could stand on the holy hill of the lord without mercy you are to be praised in the temple and in our homes in jesus name amen